Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out People of Product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called PillowCube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to PillowCube.com and getting one for yourself. Something that's so cool with that story is... That's a Venezuelan family that I met on the border of Colombia and Ecuador when I was I was stuck in Ecuador at the beginning of of, of of when Corona broke out in like March last year. And I meet this family and they have this little baby that's like eight months with, with like a tumor in the head. And I don't know the exact because I, I didn't understand too, too much about the medical needs, but the baby's constantly in Quito, which is the capital, right? And they would just like disappear for a week out of the month until I asked the dad, I'm like, where the hell are you guys going? And he's like, yeah, we got to go big. And man, I mean, that's a whole story. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Aaron Murphy. Aaron, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. You bet. So for people not familiar with what you're up to, how do you, when people ask what you do, how do you describe it? Basically, I mean, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out myself, but I've been backpacking South America for a couple of years now. And this entire time, it's kind of been just more of soul searching for me. I wanted to learn a new language. So yeah, I came down here. I didn't speak any Spanish and I've been just living with Venezuelans in the streets. I, I didn't know anything about the situation in Venezuela. So to learn Spanish, I would film them on YouTube. And then I would put the subtitles above there as them telling their life story to me. And for the last like year and a half, my sister and a good friend of mine kept telling me to upload videos on TikTok. And I'm just like, I I don't want to get that app. There's enough apps. It's a kid's app with little kids dancing. And eventually I just, I threw a couple videos up and and it went really viral. So I guess my main role would be a, a TikToker, but more of like a humanitarian spin on it where I take donations and I try to help families become financially stable. Yeah. You know, it's one of the things that was interesting to me is, you know, I think there's so many folks that think about TikTok for 13 year old girls, right? And yet there's people doing real business on TikTok now. And it's not expensive like Facebook or Instagram or things like this from from an advertising standpoint. And like people who can people who can learn that community can do really well. And you know, you know, sounds like you're probably gonna pass a million followers here in the next day or two, right? You're you've obviously figured some things out about that space. 
you know, 20 million likes on these things that you've made. What's what's one lesson for maybe like a, a startup entrepreneur or some like corporate innovator who's thinking like, man, maybe I should actually pay attention to TikTok, but I don't I don't want to do it wrong. What what's what's a what's a rookie mistake that people should avoid? So yeah, I've helped quite a few friends get onto TikTok for for business purposes. And one of the biggest things is a lot of people say to keep the videos really short. My kind of my hack that I've I've found is it a lot the longest video that you can do is 60 seconds. Fill that 60 seconds up because these these platforms they want you to spend more time on their application, obviously, like YouTube, TikTok, all, all of these. They want you to spend more time. So for example, let's say you upload a video that's really engaging and it's 10 seconds and you have an average of eight second watch time. That's awesome. You're at 80%. But if I upload a video that has 60 seconds and I have a 35 average watch time on that 60 second video, the, the application is going to reward me because I'm, I literally have, you know, three, four times the amount of watch time that person has. And I find that if you can get someone to watch a video for around 35 seconds, you, you can hit a million views on TikTok. That's awesome. Well, let, let's do a little more background on Growing up in Northern Canada, ended up down in Irvine, California. Same thing as me from Alberta as well. Ended up in Irvine. And then, and then, and let's talk about this MurphsLifeFoundation.com. Cool. For sure, man. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in, I grew up in a small town in Beaver Lodge, Alberta, Northern Alberta, super simple childhood. I, all I did was play pond hockey. We'd go to school, we'd come back, we'd have our neighborhood teams and, and we would just play, you know, that's, that's all I did. Honestly, like I, I can't even tell you anything else I did. I mean, it was, it was an awesome childhood. I mean, I started a lot of fires and, you know, just I was of like a really wild, wild child. I can't tell you how many times that the, the Beaver Lodge fire department had to drive me home to my parents. But other than that, when I was in high school, my parents decided to move us down to Utah in the United States. They had some a mutual, a couple of mutual college friends. And so, yeah, so I moved to Utah and from there, you know, just did the Utah thing. So tell us about the foundation. Yeah. So the, the foundation, it's something incredibly new. I've never worked personally with any types of foundations. And honestly, if you asked me a few years ago, I was always one of those really negative people when it came to foundations. I just had like a bad taste in my mouth. Just, you know, working in, in California, I'd run into quite a few people that when they would talk about their foundation or their job, it was just always about financial gain. So for me, it, it was kind of like a shock being thrown into this. But basically what I'm trying to do is just really create a really transparent and, and directly to the source foundation where people can donate their money and they can actually see where that money is going. So, so what I do now is for example, I, I just finished the craziest event, like the craziest project I've ever done in my life. It trumps all the events we've, we've I've ever worked on before where basically I, I uploaded this video on, on TikTok and I, we went to one of my goals was with my working with this foundation. Now I learned Spanish, hanging out with, with Venezuelans, living with them in the streets. I, I would spend a week sleeping in, in, in a park with them, even in Cartagena last year. And they would, I would always hear these stories about Venezuela. So my goal was I got to make it to Venezuela, I at least got across the border somehow, which is incredibly dangerous. Last week I was confronted by a group of Venezuelan men in military outfits. I don't know if they're guerrillas or actual military with, with their machine guns pointed at us. It's very sketchy. Not it was something I definitely do not recommend to anyone doing. 
But we get we get to the border of Venezuela, and this is kind of answering the question of what we do. While we we went under this bridge to get into Venezuela, where I saw these people like trading, they would buy stuff in Colombia to bring over to Venezuela from like mostly medical equipment, food. But as I was doing this, we found this native tribe, this indigenous Indian tribe, I guess you could say. Not really sure the the correct term right now to, to say for that, but Native American. This tribe of about a little under a thousand people, 112 huts. And it was extreme, extreme poverty. I mean, we saw we saw women, like elderly women, literally starving to death, sleeping on dirt floors. I saw a woman in her 70s who was sleeping in a hut, literally made up about six sticks sticking in the air and four sticks above. Like it had no roof, it had no walls. It was just a basic structure and it just rained. So like half of the drown was literally a puddle of mud and she slept there that night with her kids. It was insane, like absolutely insane. So what I did was we made a quick video showing people this is extreme poverty this is how a lot of venezuelans have to live and and, and uh, i uploaded it and i said 100 percent of your donations are going to go to this tribe and that video we woke up the next morning and it's at like 1.1 million views and the donations are just rolling and rolling and we had over ten thousand dollars from when i posted it that night to the morning it was like boom 10 grand you know is in my venmo basically we were like scrounging like how are we going to spend this money we only have 48 hours here and the, the donations kept continuously coming it was over 20 grand by the time that second day was coming around. So we figured out like their main necessities and it was obviously food, but they had, they had no, they had no structure within their, their little society here. We built them a school. We had school supplies. We got a local teacher to teach them. We built them a mini hospital. Basically we just went to like a Home Depot thing. We got them a really nice gazebo with tables, cabinets. We filled it up with medicine, with gauze, with alcohol, with masks, everything they would need for a basic hospital. We got them like table, everything. Yeah, everything for the school, everything for a mini hospital. We got them this really thick, sturdy plastic. It's the only thing I can find that we could build roofs for all of their huts and cover up all of their holes. So we we got all of their shelter covered, bought them these massive water filters. The children were drinking. When I say it was disgusting, I mean like this was in, they were living like animals. They were, the children were drinking like brown river water that was used for dishes, like washing the dishes. And the, the little kids are just drinking this like it's normal, you know, like normal water. So we got them these water filters and, and, and basically like just using this as an example of kind of what we'll do. And when I say we, my, my team is, me, my girlfriend is from Ecuador, my best friend who I worked in, in Irvine with. And then a new guy just came on board. His name is Chad, works with a lot of videography. But yeah, we, we come in there and we just find like the main necessities that whether it's a family um, or a tribe or whatever it is. And, and at the end goal is when we leave, I try to find a way where they can become financially stable. So the last thing kind of that we did is and they would take coconuts and carve them and make like these little monkeys smoking joints with little hats with the local Colombian beer that they would bring into Colombia here in Cucuta, the, the city on the border of Venezuela that they would sell to people in the streets. So we, we got a massive amounts of coconuts, things for them to sew like straw hats to be able to sell. And then we also built them a massive garden. We got like the wood and the planks, but like those raised gardens, we bought out all of the seeds basically in the store. I just started grabbing like the packs of like the carrots, the cabbage, the celery, and we're just like tossing it in here. We went and got them like 50 shovels and rakes. Yeah. So that's kind of like the, the meat of what this foundation does is 
we say, this is the problem. Your guys' donations, it's not going towards, I don't have corporate office buildings. I don't have fancy trucks. You know, I'm not paying myself a crazy salary. We, we basically, the only money that I use is like for travel and then food expenses, which a lot of the times is under a thousand bucks, which is the great thing about being in South America. So we take people's donations and we show them exactly where their money is going and how it's affecting families for potentially generations to come. That's awesome. Well, t- tell us another story. Tell us about somebody else you've been able to help. Another thing that was really cool, something that I that I felt really proud, like it was just an amazing accomplishment for myself. Like I don't want to toot my heart in any way. It's, I'm still kind of like on this high, this high from it was when I was in... Uh, Medellin for the first time about a year and a half ago, I met this this Venezuelan named, uh, what was his name? Luis. And Luis is this awesome kid. He's like 25 years old. He was selling coffee in the streets. And I'm kind of like practicing my Spanish with him. And we, we really, we just became really good friends. Like I would hang out with him every day for about a month outside of my Airbnb. And this was before I'm doing like TikTok, any of this, you know, I'm just like, I would do a little bit of marketing to pay for my, my backpacking, maintain myself down here. And I always thought like, how cool would it be to like help this guy fulfill his dream? And I was at like, when I asked him what his dream was, he left Venezuela because his wife was pregnant and he came down here to be able to find a fixed job for him to eventually be able to bring his wife and children down here. And the, the problem is in these countries is if you don't have proper documentation, they will take advantage of Venezuelans like no other. It's getting paid about a third of minimum wage, which is like 150 bucks a month. He was getting paid, barely covers his rent, a little bit of food, and he might have like 20 bucks to send home, you know, to cover like diapers, whatever that is in Venezuela. So I would bring that up and he would just tear up and cry. And it was like this, this sense of, of desperation that he's never going to see his kid. He's not going to see his wife. He's not going to see his children grow up, which is, I think that was the saddest part for him. You know, his kid was two years old now, two and a half. And so anyway, as my TikTok was growing, I always had him in the back of my mind. The reason why I'm in Colombia now is actually to do this. Um, we just finished it about two months ago. But we get into Colombia. I got an Airbnb kind of near him. We're filming it. And I, I, I got a hold of his wife secretly. I had my girlfriend talking to him like, Hey, you want to, you want to come to Colombia? And she's just like, is this a joke? Like, of course, like kind of in shock. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to send you the money right now. You got to promise to be here in like two, three days. You got to leave tonight. So she's like, all right. You know, she promised not to tell her husband big surprise. And so she like, she shows up to our Airbnb three, four days later and like four in the morning. And I'm like, all right, cool. Now we got to get her a house. So we went, we found a home, we paid the rent for six months and we just went shopping. I'm like, anything you want for your house, you can have. We bought brand new beds. We bought a bunk bed. We bought a fridge, a brand new stove, everything brand new, like blankets, pillows, you name it. The house is entirely furnished. We furnished the home. We buy a big food truck so we can, he can build his own restaurant. He have his own restaurant, you know, like salchipapa, which is like French fries and hot dog, which is what they love down here. They're fast food. So I, I hit up, I hit him up and I'm like, and I'm like, yo, Luis, like, hey, you want to help me out with my TikToks? He, he loves watching my TikToks. He always comments on them. And he's like, man, I, would lo- I want to help you. Like, I'm off of work at seven. Come pick me up. I get a taxi and I'm like, all right, we're going to go help this family out. It's over here in the mountainside, you know, in, in Medellin. We show up there, man. It was so cool, man. Like, like if, if, if you're an eight, I always say this to like some of my atheist friends. I'm like, dude, if you were there and you felt the spirit that was in this moment, man, you, there's no way you couldn't deny like a higher being just 
that that love you know like not getting religious at all it was it was something so beautiful man i don't even know how to put this in words but i kind of have my camera out you know and i knock on the door she opens the door and she's sitting there with the child the two-year-old like the face you know and he's on the other side of the door he like has no idea what's going on and i'm like hey go in the house he turns the door and then boom he sees his wife and child there and it was, dude, it was so cool, man. Like the tears, man, they were this, this long, long 10 minute hug that they had. It was super cool. And then the, then just being able to tell them like, Hey, also this house is yours, man. Like that couch is yours. That stove is yours. This food cart, like you don't have to be taken advantage of anymore. Like this is your business. You know what I mean? It was so freaking amazing. And I, I wouldn't have been able to do any of that if it wasn't for, you know, just everyone pitching in and donating, you know, a couple bucks here and there to make that happen. So that was definitely one of my favorite experiences. That's amazing. Well, thinking about this, what what are your average donations? What does that look like? So and with with TikTok. Like if you are a good video producer and you can make engaging content, your page will blow up fairly quickly and that can bring you in quite a bit of, of donations. So like my first three months, I had 80 grand in donations, right around 80 grand. I might be off a little bit. And then all of a sudden I had like 15 videos where I'm only getting like 100,000, 150,000 views, which just to kind of give a number out, like you, I can have a video that'll have, for, for example, I uploaded that video and I probably spent five, $6,000, right? On that video to be able to get his wife down, furnish the home, build him a business. I gave him quite a bit of cash and it was probably around, I would say like five, $6,000, but the donations were probably 2,500 to $3,000 in donations just for that specific video. So it's kind of a hit or miss. This last video this week is like my all time high in donations. When I uploaded the tribe, the native tribe on the Venezuelan border, where it was like, I woke up and it was like $10,000, $12,000. So it's always just kind of a hit or miss. My my steady donations. And like I said, I'm, all, I'm just trying to be like as much upfront with everyone too. Like there's nothing sneaky here. Like no one's buying watches and cars. And, you know, that phase of my life is is definitely over. My I have a little over a thousand Patreons and that's right around $12,000 a month. So that's kind of like, just for you to get an idea of like the base of the, of the donations coming in. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is amazing for you is this, the closed loop and the speed at which you're doing it. You know, I've mm-hmm. run a nonprofit for 10 years and th- there's a lot of things that can make nonprofits hard to run. One of the big problems though, is that so many people in nonprofit, they've got a real heart for the issue, but maybe they yeah. don't have the commercial background. They don't have the, the business experience to figure out how to get the money to do the good, yeah. you know? And, and this idea, like this, this loop, these like super engaging stories. And it's so raw because you're right there. It's not like these fancy offices in New York and this and that, like I can see how relatable it feels to people. And I think you've really cracked the code on something there. And what's funny is like, I'm sure there's a bunch of like nonprofit professionals listening here thinking like, oh, well he could do this better. He could do this better, whatever. Right. Who are not making a video and getting $20,000 of donations 48 hours later. And then the day after that, going to actually work on fixing the problem, you know? And so to me, that's a super interesting business model and how fun to use it for such good purposes. Yeah, man. It's amazing, man. It's like to get you an idea. I was, I was chatting with one of my old uh, business partners, the one from the, the one who started the marketing agency out in California. And just literally before, before I jumped on a call here with you, like I had to kind of do a little bit of meditation to calm my nerves down from doing the, the, the reservation that we did or the, the, the tribe. It was like, like I said, 48 hours. It was a built school. 
It was a hospital. It was repairing 112 huts. It was food for every single hut. It was about, it was four semi truckloads is what we did that we had to purchase set up. The amount of screaming, man, like I'm so surprised my girlfriend is still with me. Like it's my, my background is like, I've, I threw like my own events, like getting into it, which is like, I had to go get staging. I had to go get lighting promoters. You know what I mean? So I'm always used to working in this fast paced, you know, get it all done kind of thing. But it is, it's incredibly difficult, but it's, it's, possible. And I think it's, it's what I want to do is raise the bar. One thing that was really, I haven't uploaded any of this yet, but the nurse who I want to say she works with like the UN, I'm not sure it's, it is like some big government building that's by the, it's from Europe. It says she works for them, but she's been helping this, this tribe for about four or five years. And she's really dedicated her life to them. It's her main passion in life. And she said that like the, the that the Red Crosses came multiple times. The biggest major organizations have came and they would set up. And I, I see this all the time here in South America, these large foundations and nonprofits, they'll come and they set up these banners. They have their trucks. They'll get people in line. They collect their cedulas, like their numbers. And they take a lot of pictures and videos and get photo assets for their websites. And they do absolutely nothing. You know, like, like she said, she's been trying to get help for six, four to six years for this tribe and nothing for like for school, for this, for that. And everything she said she's been praying for was done within 48 hours. And, and, and like I said, I'm not trying to say like, this is what we did. We did, we did. I'm just saying like, it is very, it's not easy. It's, you know, and I know the bigger you get, the more, you know, the more, what's that word? I'm like overhead for. or what do you mean? The more like signatures you got to get, the more corporate, I guess it can get, you know, whereas with this, but it's possible, you know, and I think if you're doing a nonprofit, you really got to dig deep and say like, what is, why am I doing this with my life? Like, what is my real purpose? Am I doing this, you know, to be able to pay myself a salary and go home to my family? Or am I doing this because I'm truly passionate about what this nonprofit stands for? And so it is 100% possible, you know, like I'm a small TikToker who, with the help of thousands of people donating, it's, you know, we, we went in there and we, and we, and we did it and it was, it was absolute hell, the, the process of doing it, but it's possible. And, and yeah, man, I, like I said, I still kind of have anxiety because we, we just left Cucuta, the border of Venezuela. And we got, it was a 14 hour drive. I just got here into uh, Santa Marta here on the beach in Colombia about an hour and a half ago. We were driving all night, no sleep. So just like again I, I really have to compliment you on the marketing and and the ability to draw people into a story i mean even just going through your your murph's life instagram right and i can see these clips you know your tiktok videos and stuff and it's like you know they're they're intense like this one's like her husband was recently murdered you know uh -huh. and then you've got these other ones of you know this beautiful family took him in just before christmas like they're they're such inherently human stories you know i think that's uh, i think that's something that can sometimes get lost in the bigger vision of things of like it just makes me think like one of the best marketing tips i've ever heard for any nonprofit comes from mother teresa and she said when i see the many i do not act when I see the one I act mm -hmm. and I feel like you really nailed that. Like you, you give people this like visceral, like you were there type of feeling, even though most of us aren't trying to sneak into Venezuela. Right. Yeah. But we get that feeling of being there with you. And it's like that, that it's supposed to be a statistic and it starts being a human life. So I just think you've done a great job there. Yeah. Thanks, man. That's, you know, and that really it's, 
I mean, I guess I've been in, in marketing most, most of my adult life. And it's, I definitely see where you're coming from, but it's more of like, I guess as a backpacker, when I didn't have that much money, when I had to be really careful with, with what I spent my money on, I would be with like these people for two weeks and I would hear their story. And it was just like, I really put into the universe. And I guess with my, with my prayers to God is like, uh, if, if I could just be able to, you know, like such an amazing person, like the, the, the beautiful thing with these people is they may be poor. And like, I think, I think something that people really need to realize is that money obviously really does not bring happiness and money does not necessarily bring spiritual growth or just growth as, as a human, right? These people have so much more to offer us. And I guess that's what I kind of look for more is if I find someone with a really good story of about like faith, that they have faith in a higher power, whatever it is that they believe in. Down here, it's, it's predominantly like, I guess, a Christian in South America. And I, and I just love to see like, like, wow, like you're sleeping on the streets. Like, you know, like for example, had this guy who didn't have any legs and he had like this team of like 40 Venezuelans. They slept in a park and they would go out like one would watch some of them. Would, the mothers would wash windows with the babies. And then the husbands would like rap. You know, if you've ever been to South America, you see people rapping for like tips. You know, everyone had like their own little skills, but they'd bring the money together to the guy with no legs. I'm like, this is like a damn movie. <laughs> you know, and he's like, the children are first. Like they'd feed the children, they'd buy diapers. And then if there's enough money left over, they would rent hostels for the, the pregnant women or the women with the babies, you know, and the men would sleep in the park and then they would like preach to me and I thought that was so gnarly to me because for me it was like whenever I was in a pinch financially I couldn't pay my credit card bill or, or whatever it was or like I remember I had this like phase where it's like I want to upgrade. I like, all I want right now is a Maserati, you know? And I was just like getting angry about this. And I'm like, these mother efforts are sleeping in the rain outside and they're preaching to me about a higher power who loves them, you know? And it's like, these people truly are rich, you know, they're rich and they have a beautiful story to tell. And so that's like my main thing that I try to do that, like, that I love to do is it's not about like necessarily, I guess, getting millions of views or it's not necessarily about like, how can I get the most views out of this story? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, how can I impact someone who's not happy with their life? Like who has a roof over their head? You know, like I see so many people that say, oh, if I, if, why don't millionaires do more? Like a lot of young kids love to say that because it's like, you know, come here and hang out with these people in the streets with your iPhone and tell them you're not rich. And you have that, show them your, you, what you think is a crappy apartment, you know, in, in New York or wherever you live and, and, and tell that person you're not rich living in the street who has, just has bread to eat. You know what I mean? Like, these, like we are rich, man, as, as people in North America and most first world countries, like if you have an iPhone, you're freaking rich, dude. And, and it's like, that's why I really enjoy these stories is like that one-on-one, -on -one, if you can feel connected with that one character, that, that human, you know, and, and see their fight and their faith and their joy. That's, that's, you know, that's, I guess that's kind of like my biggest thing that I try to push for. And it's hard to do that when you have a large crowd of people, you know, and, and you're, and you just hand around like a lot of the old school, like you see commercials and infomercials about these charities and it shows like African babies with their, their stomach sticking out. Like, you know, just for me is I, I personally find it better if I can connect with one person, like hear that person's story and get to know them, you know? And yeah. Well, I don't know if, I don't know if a tangent. No, but, but I, th yeah. I think you do a great job too. Like we know that human emotion is one of the biggest motivators, human to human, you yeah. know? And, and I like, you know, I'm looking at your one here. Like, thank you for giving uncle Jose a bed to rest at night. And like <laughs> yeah. this guy with the crazy teeth 
has got the biggest smile, just yeah. like the most inviting big smile. Yeah. Like, you know, like it makes me smile just looking at his smile. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I mean, like when you when you watch that video, he's sleeping in, in a dirt floor, like in basically in a in the backside of their barn house where the pig feed is like rotten food, like buckets and buckets. I don't know if that's in the video, but it's like 14 massive buckets of just rotting food. And he sleeps there, you know, and he's he I, I think he has partial down syndrome, which is why he's smiling like that. But the like that one was so like I was never like oh, I'm gonna film a video with him. I was like just where I was hanging out in this neighborhood and this guy's just like smiling and laughing and I'm like I'm gonna hang out with this dude for a bit and I'm asking him like show me where you sleep and he's like this is my bed like so excited to show me where he sleeps and it was like a thin foam that was like so rotten and disgusting and it was like it was like mud and piss and like it was like not to sound like. I guess rude, but it was, it was disgusting. Like this thing should have been in the trash years ago. And I'm pretty sure it was found in the trash, but the amount of joy that he had from something so small as a bed, like, I mean, that's gratitude right there, you know, and it's something so small and like, yeah, it's crazy. It was really cool. Like little, little experiences like that. I feel like we can all learn so much. Yeah. You know? But again, I think it's this, like the, the magic of storytelling, it's not overly produced. You feel like you're there like this one. Yeah. Sophia begs for money for her baby sister with down syndrome. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And you see this little girl counting her coins in her hand like that. You know, that's not something that that we come across a lot in North America. Right. Yeah, not at all. And yet you see her and like she doesn't seem unhappy to be doing this. You know, so it feels very real. Yeah. I mean, she was stoked. She was absolutely stoked. Dude, that something that's so cool with that story is that's a Venezuelan family that I met on the border of Colombia and Ecuador when I was I was stuck in Ecuador for the beginning of, 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 of when Corona broke out in like March last year. And I meet this family and they have this little baby that's like eight months with, with like a tumor in the head. And I don't know the exact because I, I didn't understand too, too much about the medical needs, but the baby's constantly in Quito, which is the capital, right? And they would just like disappear for a week out of the month until I asked the dad, I'm like, where the hell are you guys going? And he's like, yeah, we got to go big. And man, I mean, that's a whole story in itself. But the coolest thing with that story that you brought up is a woman, I forget her, I feel kind of bad. I forgot his name off the top of my head. Super amazing woman. She made a really cool documentary about fashion that's on Netflix. It was one of the most popular fashion Netflix documentaries on there. She randomly hits me up and she's like, I want to help this family out. Dude, she took in this family. She got him a beautiful apartment in Guayaquil, dude. Like I'm talking like one of the nicest apartments paid for the surgeries dude paid for all, all of the medical care the kids are in like a good school i mean that's it was beautiful man and it was like that is one of the main reasons why i love like focusing on one family at a time one village at a time because like you know like we can go and, and film 20,000 or feed 20,000 people that they're going to get hungry in a couple hours. And I'm not saying that that's not important, but it's like my, my true passion with this is being able to help one person at a time. So people like this woman from, from New York can come in and just like change them for the rest of their, like the kids are going to grow up with an amazing education. That little girl who was begging is now, I think in a, like an awesome private school. So super bad. <laughs> it's so great. I feel like you're like a, you're like a free range philanthropist or something. <laughs> You know? <laughs> it's like it's like i feel like this could become a new sport like adventure philanthropy right <laughs> dude that's kind of what it's like man i mean especially like like i was telling you i don't know if you were like filming it like when we were sneaking into venezuela and, and like these gorilla dudes have machine guns and i'm like all right dude this is like this is too much the adrenaline is enough here like this is where we draw the line you know 
but it's definitely if if we wouldn't have taken it to that limit we wouldn't have found this this tribe so yeah it's it's cool man it's like you know life is short man and it's like you just got to live your life to the fullest and so i don't know how to say that <laughs> no that's great well, tell us, yeah, tell us another one of, tell us somebody else you got to help. Let me try to think of another one that kind of sticks out. When I, when I first started doing TikTok, right when it blew up, when I had my first video that was getting a couple million views, I was a little sketched out because I'm on the border of Colombia. And at this part of Ecuador, when you go into Colombia into the mountains, there's a lot of gorillas. I'm not talking about monkeys. I'm talking about, you know, like basically they're, yeah, like, like paramilitary a groups paramilitary groups where there's a lot of kidnappings and 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 like i was i don't know if i should even say this but i was the borders have been closed and they're still closed but i was i found like this kind of like high to go through the the trochas which is like the secret trails you know how like people can sneak into countries um you get a coyote and i'm like going like back and forth into colombia just because i was so bored there's no buses there's no taxis there's nothing and like i'm stuck in this town for five months going crazy dude so i start like doing i'm making friends with the venezuelans i'm doing this and like and at this one point like we're going and and like we saw like bloody clothes and this guy's like actually the dad told me this the dad of of the little girl who's begging for money he was kind of like my coyote guide and he's like yeah people get stabbed on this trail all the time and i'm just like and I'm walking through the streets and people are like, oh, you're that guy from TikTok who gives a bunch of money out and people are starving to death. It's, it's a pandemic in a third world country. And so I'm like, all right, I need to have like, you know, some protection here while I'm walking around doing these videos. So I had this really big Venezuelan, just like, like think of like uh, the friendliest giant you can think of, like massive muscular arms, but like you talk to him and he's the sweetest guy. And he just wants to talk about God. You know, I'm like, where did this dude come from? Like this guy is perfect. Like <laughs> anyone's going to heaven, it's this guy here you know, Romel. And so Romel's helping me out. And at the same time, I'm living with this family, this little grandma invites me and she's like, please stay with us. Kind of like, this is like a really long story, but like none of them have money. No one has jobs. It's like, like 1% of all businesses are open. You know, people are, are starving to death, like real, really like starving to death, you know? And I'm like, I want to help them out so bad. And, and this is like right at the verge of before my donations were really starting to come in. Like I didn't even think to put Venmo on my first few videos that had millions of views. What basically what I did was after I was ready to leave this small town, I opened up this restaurant called the Gringo Loco that I thought would be just like, everyone called me the Gringo Loco, you know, like the crazy Gringo. So I opened up this restaurant and I put like $10,000 into donations into it. Like, I'm like, I want this restaurant to be the coolest restaurant in this tiny town. Like we would go to all the sports bars and places like this. And it was just like crappy TVs, dude. And people would be like, oh, that, that bar has the coolest TV. And it was just like a garbage, you know what I mean? TV that the lights going out. So we went and bought like an 80 inch massive flat screen here. I put plants in it. Like I pimped it out. I did. I bought like the most radio. And the, I bought all these radio ads for it because people love the radio down in these little towns. Bought like TV ads, and I'm like the Gringo Loco. Like for the first month, like you buy a hamburger, we feed our our hungry people here because we could do like delivery. You know what I mean? And we're just like getting calls. And I had him work. I had my grandma work there, was taking care of me. And then I had my buff guy there. He's like making the hamburgers, dude. And then like I'm like, all right, let's put 500 hamburgers in here, and we'll go down to the neighborhoods. And the kids would be like free hamburgers, and like give all the children like, these hamburgers. And it just kind of turned into like this ridiculous thing. But it was like kind of like at the end, I was like, all right, guys, thank you so much for helping me with this restaurant. And they're like crying, like we're saying our goodbyes, you know, before I continue my adventures. And I'm like, hey, this restaurant is your guys. It's like 50-50 here. 
like 50 for Romel, my bodyguard, and then 50 for Abuelita, you know, taking care of me. Here you guys go. And then like a few months later, they had sent me pictures when the band kind of opened up on the, the what do you call it? Or you have to be inside the home. Like they, a little more free, the government lifted. They sent me like a picture. And this was like a beautiful moment, man. They sent me a picture of all the tables inside of the restaurant packed with families. And that was like, that was freaking cool, man. It was so freaking cool, dude. <laughs> Well, it sure sounds like a lot of fun to get to do that much good. And, and, you know, I think it's, I think it's something that a lot of the rest of us overthink Mm -hmm. and I love you just like getting in there and getting dirty and making crap happen. Yeah, man. It's, it's cool, dude. It's, it's not always as easy as it looks when you're seeing the finished video, but it's the outcome is it's amazing. Yeah. So let's go through the websites and the social media handles and if people want to go check check these videos out and donate or get on your Patreon and stuff like this, can you walk us through some of these? Yeah, man. So I guess my main just website is murphslife.com, M-U-R-P-H-S-L-I-F-E. And then it has all the, like, the four main ways to donate. There's like PayPal, Venmo, Cash App. Or if you want to do monthly, which kind of helps me to plan out videos, that's uh, that's just the Patreon, which is in there, patreon.com forward slash murphslife. And then um, following these videos, it's on, I don't want to say YouTube because I haven't been uploading too much. I just don't have time to upload and edit full videos. But my main platforms are the TikTok and then my main main one that I want to start focusing on now is my Instagram, which is Murph's Life. So basically you can find me on any social for Murph's Life. Yeah. Well, maybe just a couple more questions before we go. What's another what's another tip or two for people who are saying, you know what, I think our business or I think I should actually start looking at TikTok a little more serious. What's what's any other advice for people who are trying to get into the TikTok world and actually, you know, fit in once they get there and and have Mm. their stuff resonate. I guess the first thing, man, is just testing, you know, just really testing what works for you. Everyone has their own style of filming. Everyone has their own style of, of, of storytelling. So really just figuring that out. And the second thing is realizing like once you have that TikTok account, man, you got to be consistent with it. Just upload like sometimes two videos a day, three videos a day. And if you're consistent, you're going to get views on it. Like take advantage because they want people to become addicted to the app. And I think like what with most apps, just working with social media is the more that like AI kind of realizes that you're a business, the more that they're going to want you to spend ad money to get views. Right. So I think like and maybe this is just like crazy talk. But I feel like the less, like less people have access to that TikTok account, don't do anything spammy, keep it really organic. Be careful with putting like dot coms like in your in your wordage. I've kind of noticed this if I put like dot com, I wouldn't get as many views. Like I just try to keep it like really, really, really engaging. Like as as well, like at an end of a video, if, if you want to get, let's say you want to get conversions, right? Like purchasing a product. I don't know what kind of example we could use, but don't just worry about like what's spoken in the bio, but put those words on the actual video. Like this product was, this amazing product was purchased from, you know what I mean? Like at that last like five seconds. And then I guess I'm kind of giving all my secrets away here. I like make sure like when you're putting wordage and storytelling, those words that you're putting on the video, don't keep it too short because I feel like for me, for example, when I'm, when I'm reading words that are on a, on a video and it's too short and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't get that. I'm not really paying attention to what's coming next. And then I'm like, ah, that's it, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of move on. So make sure you have like enough spacing and then take take your time into making it. You know what I mean? Like, like I will take sometimes up to three, four hours editing my, like my video that has 5 million. I, I want to say it's at, let me double check right now. Yeah, so my video here, 
I uploaded it 23 hours ago or 24 hours ago, and it's at 5 million here on TikTok. Like I put a lot of time into that. I put about four or five hours editing it. And when kind of what I do is I will have about 200 mini clips that I shoot. And then as soon as I do that, I want to have about 30 clips inside of, and this is for anything like Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is. I want to have those clips inside of there. And, and if you don't feel like, you know, like when you start a puzzle for the first time, like a 2000 piece puzzle, you're like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? If you don't feel like that, you didn't film enough. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> have a shit ton of content, dude. Like don't be afraid just to film the hell out of it. Have but make sure your shots are smooth, your shots are clean, you have decent lighting and and tell a good story, man. Make sure your volume's not too high. You want to make sure the, the the audio of the person talking is not being muffled by music. Make sure your music matches the emotion of what you're trying to and then I guess my my last thing and I've just got done one of I had my guys in here who are trying to make videos. I'm like teaching them what I'm doing here. So it's kind of regurgitating what I'm telling them. But like I said before, make sure your videos are longer. Capitalize on that. Like TikTok is saying that they're going to go to three minutes and I'm excited for this. Like I, I can't wait for it to go to three minutes because I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to be able to tell longer stories, which I'm really excited about. But dude, there was like one more thing that I was telling my buddy. I don't know. Anyway, it's something that you really just kind of have to play with. Oh, this is, this is the biggest, biggest thing, dude. Like I have a couple sponsors and I've, I've built YouTube channels in the past that have hundreds of thousands of views. Like in my early twenties, I lived with a YouTuber before. So it's social media has kind of been my, my jam for a while, but my biggest thing is like, like if you want to look up on YouTube, a video I did a really long time ago with a friend has a few million views. It's called homeless family makeover on YouTube. The channel's called give back films It's my buddy Kyle's channel, super rad channel, similar stuff that that we started like seven, eight years ago that he's been working on. It's not professional content. Like people worry so much about having the nicest cameras, the nicest, the best lighting, the best audio, like that does not matter. It, it needs to be real. It needs to feel real. You know what I mean? Like, so if, if you're in like in this board meeting and you're, and you're thinking like, we need to have the most expensive team to get really good. You know what I mean? Like, like what I was saying is like, we have some, some sponsors that we're going to go film for that are paying our, our crew to come out to help them get some, some viral content here. And it's like, look at our content that we've been shooting. And it's like the nicest, you know what I mean? It's like, it looks like they just shot a commercial for like the Super Bowl or McDonald's, you know, you know, and, and I'm like, dude, like, this is no, this is garbage. <laughs> like his videos are boring as hell and it's garbage. Like no one gives a shit about the fanciest video out there. Like think about some of the best movies that had the worst LUTs, like 300 back in the day. You look, you look at that now and like the CGI or whatever it's called and the LUTs are so ridiculous, but it was it's the content, you know? So focus on really good content. If you're not a good content creator, you know, get into something else or hire someone that really knows how to do it. <laughs> I love That's it. my tip, bro. Okay. So dude, you look so, like Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. If only I could get access to his bank account. So the, my last question has been my favorite question to ask lately is, is what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? One of the best pieces of advice I ever received. I think one of the most impactful pieces of advice I got was, was I used to like share a bunch of stuff on my social media. Like I would, I would be in my friend's exotic cars and I'd just be like, look at my new car. Like young people just love that, that stuff. The whole kind of the whole flex thing or whatever it is, the clout. And, and that as, as I kind of grew out of that, when we gave the restaurant to Abuelita, 
I had my Instagram story and I took them all out to like a really nice dinner during quarantine. I got to go to like the, the, the Asian restaurant down there that they've never been able to eat at. I'm like, get whatever you want. I got like two, three plates of everything. Like for Abuelita, her daughter, her husband, her three grandchildren. Like we had the table, we're there. And we got like the nicest plates and the fancy drinks. And I had on my Instagram story. And this is when my page, I probably had like 100,000 subscribers. And I'm like, we're eating fancy, get, you know, just kind of joking around. It wasn't like anything ridiculous. And my dad said, my dad said something about a humility and how like a lot of people are watching these videos is because of the humility. It's not about me. And that made me really think about, I guess, about like the whole purpose of like, you know, why I'm doing this. And, and it's not important to like, that stuff's not important. You know, it's not the purpose of life. So I guess that was kind of, of his, his thing is to always, you know, always stay humble, which is, I think the hardest thing for all of us. We're always on this cycle, this pride cycle. It's great advice. You know, you think about, think about how often people bring up that Warren Buffett still lives in the house that he bought like 50 something years ago on that Mm -hmm. street. You know what I mean? And that he, he, that he lives so frugally in certain ways. Like it's really admirable to people. You know what I mean? It's magnetic, but I really like that advice. I think that there is such a temptation for a lot of us to make it about ourselves. Right. Yeah, dude, it, it, it is, man. And, and if, you know, like you're saying, if it wasn't for that advice, there's so many times where like a sponsor will pay for like a really nice hotel, you know, like for me, this is the nicest. I'm at the Marriott right now and I'm never in these hotels. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, I, I for me, I would feel like stealing if I'm going to use like donations to stay in these hotels. I feel like that's what kind of makes us a little bit different is that we stay in bed bug. Like it's, it's an adventure for me. Like I love, like we stayed in an Airbnb the other day that was like 25 bucks for five of us, like the night. And there was like bugs inside of the beds and we're like laughing, you know what I mean? So like, this is like, we feel all fancy here. And, and like, I wanted to make like posts about it, but I, I have like thousands of Venezuelans that are following me and people, you know what I mean? From South America. And it's like, that's because of that advice, you know, that my, that my dad gave me, it's like, there's no reason, there's no reason to, to like, it doesn't matter. Like they don't need to know I'm staying here. It's nothing to brag about, but I don't know where I was going with that, but I'm loving the air conditioning in here. <laughs> well, I love it, man. I, I appreciate the good work you're doing out there. I think it sets an example for, for the rest of us. And, and congratulations on all the success. Thanks, man. Dude, I appreciate chatting with you. And if you are a mix of Elon Musk and Mr. Rogers, if those two had a child, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's what you look I'll like. I'll take now. it. I'll take it. I'm going to be the nicest guy going to Mars. That's it. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah, man. That was cool chatting with you, dude. I'm going to I'm gonna check out a few more of your, your episodes here. Cool. Well, thank, thanks, everybody, for listening. Okay. Well, we're bringing you part two of our interview with Aaron Murphy. We get a little, do a little bit of a bonus section because on our interview a couple of weeks ago, I forgot to ask him about the orphan myth campaign he's supporting and, and that we are as well. And so we're going to add a bonus section on Aaron. Uh, let's start off with though, what, what's new and exciting since we talked to you a couple of weeks ago, man. So I'm actually in Paraguay right now. So we're out of Colombia, and we got here about four days ago. I'm kind of quarantined in a, in a hotel here. So they're on a full on shutdown. We had no idea. So there's like hardly any cars in the streets, but, but yeah, tomorrow it's finally opening up in a bit. So we're going to get back to work. Very cool. What's, what's the next project or where, where are you looking at? 
So we're going to go to a pretty rural area here in Paraguay, and it's, a re- it's an indigenous community that's been really neglected by the government. So we're going to go there and just see if we can build any small businesses for them, which will probably be like purchasing a large amount of like goats, chickens, small animals, so they can, you know, be able to make cheese, sell eggs. And then other than that, just see who doesn't have beds. It's one of my favorite things to do is just, you know, just hooking everyone up with beds, so you know, a good place to sleep. So how do you think that through? So you, you have a bit of an idea where you're going, but you don't know exactly what you're going to come into. What, what are kind of the things that you're looking for as you're thinking, what's going to be a good TikTok story that can actually raise some money to help these people? What, what's your mental checklist as you're entering a new project like that? Honestly, like I love keeping it in the unknown. So generally, like if I, if I over plan and it's like, hey, I want to film this, this and this and this it just, it turns into a lot of stress. It's hectic and it doesn't turn out organic, I guess. So I, I just love going into a new area and just walking around, finding, like just getting to know the community until I find the right people. And, and that can always change, you know, like pretty much every video is like that. It's just like, someone's like, Hey, my aunt's sick. You guys want to get to meet her? And it's like, yeah, let's go hang out with her. And, you know, like things that are just never planned. So, and I, I, I kind of like it that way, honestly, just going in into the dark and then seeing what we can find, you know? Yeah. Well, um, you know, with the, with the orphan myth, we've had a number of other folks on the show since you and I talked who are yeah. supporting it from all sorts of different angles. And, and so I'm interested, by the way, congratulations. Last time we talked, you hadn't quite hit your 20 million likes. And I see in two weeks, you're already at 23 million. So congrats. Yeah, on yeah this, this, since we last talked, I think the page grew almost 500,000 subscribers, which has been awesome. So it's been cool growing yeah, steadily. 1.2 million followers. Congratulations on that, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, tell us about the orphan myth. And I'm sure with this kind of, you know, exploding popularity, all sorts of people are asking you for things and can't you help us with this? And, you know, the kind of stuff that happens. Why, why the orphan myth campaign? What was it about that one that you wanted to support? Honestly, man, like when I didn't know anything about orphans, you know, luckily I grew up in a really good family. And generally, like when I think of when I think of orphans, you know, I, I, in my head, I immediately went to like, the parents are dead, right? Like they just have no access to family. And until I came down here to South America and, and went to go visit a few orphanages, it was something that was really sad was I, I asked a couple kids and, and their, their biggest like pain was they can't be with their siblings. And, and that was a huge shock for me that one of, one of the myths is a, most of these kids do have parents Uh, A lot of them do have family. They have siblings that are still, you know, with aunts, uncles, or even with the parents. But it's, it's just the fact that the reason why there's so many orphans is because of just extreme poverty. And so that was, that's something that I'm, I'm really like, I'm learning a lot about this myth myself, you know, as I'm, as I'm out here in the trenches and, 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 you know, and just, yeah, but I've, man, it's, it's been absolutely crazy. Like even today we went over to an orphanage and just seeing so many of these kids that were separated from their siblings and, and, you know, and, and and it's kind of crazy too, because you run into the, into all these government technicalities, right? Like, like for example, like I really wanted to be able to build a couple food carts, right. For some of the families. So these kids can come back in and it's just, it's really complicated. I, I don't think people understand how complicated the process is to, you know, to, to kind of like help these kids out. But yeah, man, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, it's, it's interesting, those things that are hard, but worth it, you know, like those complicated things, but if you can figure it out and you can reunite a kid with their parents and make it so the, you know, help be maybe that catalyst so the parents can afford to raise their own kids, you know, like 
how much better is that than just funding an institution where the kid has to be separated from their parents and siblings, right? Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, you're really giving a lot of these kids like their their identity back, you know? It's, it's super important. It's something that like I really want to be able to help, help, you know, a couple of these kids to eventually get back into their into their families but it is it's a process you know but it's it's also something that's i mean there's nothing better than being able to give a child a family you know as they grow up they're gonna have a way a way better chance of being able to 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 get into a university to stay away from you know what i mean like a lot of the problems is these kids will kind of grow up without anything they'll get out of the system and then you know what i mean it's like like most of these kids don't even know how to go grocery shopping you know so it's it's super important to be able to get these kids back into a family i love it well, thanks for all the good work you're doing. Thanks for supporting Orphan Myth. I will have to have you back on the show in a few months. You can tell us about your latest adventure. Yeah, man. It'd be cool, dude. It's, it's a new adventure every week, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, make sure to check out Aaron's TikTok. Anything else you want to leave us with? I don't think so, man. Just, you know, whatever you're working on, just grind it. Go for it. Follow, you know, follow your dreams. As, as cliche as that sounds, just, you know, fulfill your purpose here on life and, and, and get it. It is funny how I think about all the times that I haven't done that. And it's almost like I'm like, I'm like guarding my excuses on why I'm not instead of coming up with reasons on why I could and experiments yeah. on how I could try. And it's, it's, I guess, shocking to me sometimes to like months or years later realize, oh, I could have done this awesome stuff earlier if I just tried. You know? Yeah. I guess that's just, you know, that's just part of being human. But I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you've, you've had this happen in your life as well, is where if it wasn't for, I kind of look at it as like a bow and arrow, right? Where I'll go through these like really lazy phases or like, for example, like I've gained probably 20 pounds since we've last talked because my face is a lot chubbier. And it's like every morning I wake up and it's like, I need to start my diet. I need to get back, you know, on that health kick. But it's it's kind of that procrastination and, you know, that we, we just do as humans until you get to like that breaking point where it's just you have this flood of, of energy you know and and at times i i do enjoy that because if it wasn't for like that psycho mentality like that working like i'm gonna work 16 17 hours a day you know what i mean that'll push you to those limits to be able to accomplish things that you you know that few people can accomplish you know what i mean or few people do accomplish so in in a sense you know it's, it's just a part of life and growing and yeah that's funny with health i think about like you know, I could eat like a 14 year old boy until I was about 38, like nothing would change, you know, yeah. like three bowls of ice cream in a row at midnight. You know what I mean? I was, <laughs> my, my metabolism would burn it up. Right. And about like 37, 38, 39, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, apparently I can't do that anymore. And I had all yeah. these thoughts about like, man, I gotta start eating healthier again. And, you know, I started trimming, I started having less of my cans of A&W root beer. That's my addiction. Right. And, and then it was my 16 year old daughter challenging me to a no sugar month that like, it really kicked it off. And I like, I pushed hard. And then I dropped like two belt sizes in three weeks. And I was like, at the end of it, I was like, well, I don't want to just like gain it all back, (laughs) you know, like, and it was that catalyst of like pushing hard for that month that, that for me, like got me on this like way healthier kick where I do like, you know, breakfast and lunches, I just do like protein and vegetables and beans, you know, and, and then like having some carbs or a little sugar isn't, isn't like what I'm eating all day, every day. Uh, but it took that, like, it took my 16 year old to kick me in the butt and make it happen. You know, that's cool, man. I mean, if it, it is not like the 16 year old, it's usually something like diabetes that'll come to you, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's kind of that way with most of us. Well, my, my, I have that in my family line. My grandpa, my hero had type two diabetes and, and stuff like that. And so, you know, pay the price now or pay the price later. Right. Yeah. Well, 
if it's in the blood, man, it's uh, luckily your 16 year old, your daughter got on you there. <laughs> right. Okay. Hey, thanks again for doing this. Congrats on all the success and the great work you're doing and let's catch up another time. All right, my man. It was a good chat with you, bro. Thanks.